0: The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. That song that comes straight from Scripture, I couldn't help but think of Jesus' words when Jesus said, I have not come to condemn the world, but I have come that the world might be saved through me. Amen. That's a good word, isn't it? The blessings of God. Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrew. Uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter 11 with me, and we're not going to read the last part of this passage. But I've entitled this message from pagan pantheism to patriarch. From pagan pantheism to patriarch. Let me describe. Some of you who may not be aware what a pantheistic view is. A pantheistic view is that there are many gods. There's not one true God and one who would be engrossed in pantheism as they are in other places in the world today in India and other places. There are many deities. There are many small g gods they worship. What I find remarkable in this passage when we see God's work in calling Abraham was that he called Abraham from a pagan, pantheistic, other gods worshiper to the patriarch of the people that he would preserve and fulfill the promise that he had made to Eve in the garden through this one man, Abraham. And it gives me hope because there are a number of people that are in my life that I know that I love and I desire to see them come to know Christ, and you know some of them as well. And they are so steeped in not only what they might term as pantheism, but they have all these other gods that they worship in their life. And sometimes we get the idea that there are people who are just unsavable, right? Now we know, we know the truth that they are, but this gives me hope that if God can call Abraham a man who is a pagan, a man who worships other gods and change his life, turn it around by faith that he would come to know God and follow him, then there is no one that is too far out of the reach of a holy, omniscient, all-powerful God that he cannot save them. Can you say amen to that? We see from last week, earlier in chapter 11, that that God had come down. They were trying to build this tower to, to usurp God's authority and His rule. And God recognized that if He allowed them to go through with this, that there's no end to what man might be able to do. And it wasn't that God was afraid that man could perhaps be more powerful than he is and, and that He would he would be kind of cast aside and out of the way but it was in God's grace that God came down and he confused their language and he dispersed them from that place all the way from the east and to the west and so following that, we, we see a record here in chapter 11 of where these individual clans, if you will, moved out from the Tower of Babel, and the concentration here is on one of Noah's sons, Shem, who God was going to continue to fulfill the promise through, and it gives the genealogy of Shem. But let me underline this, that when God dispersed them, it wasn't as all of a sudden they say, oh, there is a God, now let's worship God no when they went out from that place there at the tower of Babel they went out some went out as warriors some went out as shepherds some went out as builders they were driven by their conquest they were driven by their commerce their adventure their appetites but underline this when God dispersed them their Babylonian hearts did not leave their Babylonian hearts went right with them and so to all of these places they go. By and large, when they scattered from there, they were all idolatrous worshipers, none worshiping the true God. And throughout this time of history of the genealogy that's recorded here, by and large, most of them were pantheistic other God worshipers, with the exception of a couple of individuals we're going to see. We see Melchizedek, I think, in chapter 15 of Genesis. You remember that one that, that came to Abraham, the, the priest of Salem? He worshiped the true God. We had the book of Job that's recorded that probably took place during this time, and we saw a man. But by and large, most did not worship the true God or know the true God. Apostasy was universal, you might say. Apostasy seemed to blanket all of the earth at that time. But here's what I love in this whole story, is that even though apostasy covered the whole land, even though they had turned away from God, God was gracious in preserving His promise through Seth that he would fulfill the promise that had been made to Eve, that there would be one that would come that would be given to save... A lost man from their sin and then how God fulfills that promise through the life of Abraham. Do you see this story? It runs through. This is why Genesis is so vitally important. That which had been lost in the garden, that which was relationship with God, it it was broken by sin and God cannot look on sin. God had to cast Adam and Eve from the garden and the results and consequences of their sin was that physical death would happen and that spiritual death would Happen, We get up to the time of Noah where Noah seems to be the only one righteous in all the land and God preserves that so that the promise might be fulfilled. Some ask the question, what if God had not done that? Well, the answer to that is, is all of those that were descendants of Adam and Eve, all the way up to you and I, if God had not preserved that promise, then we would all be separated from God because of our sin, and because God cannot look upon sin, and God desires to have relationship with those that He has created, He has preserved a way so that you and I could have relationship with God we look at the last verses of this chapter, verses 27 to 30, uh, I'll read them real quick. Now, now these are the generations of Terah. Terah Tara was the father of Abraham. Now, this is important. He fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. You remember the story later, right? We're going to see it in Genesis. Lot was Abraham's nephew. So, here's his dad recorded. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Michil, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishka. You try to pronounce these names, okay? Now, Sarai, Sarai, Sarah, was barren, and she took no child. And Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law. Now, what does that tell us? That tells us that Sarah was Abraham's sister. Now, does that make you squirm a little bit? It should. If that happened today, we would say, hmm, right? Take Sarah as his wife, and they went together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into a land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there, and the days of Terah were 205 years. Let's pray. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit of God would speak to our hearts through your word. God, we believe that, Lord, this is not just black ink on white paper, but, God, this is your very word inspired by the Holy Spirit, God, written so that we might know you, that we might see ourselves in it, and, God, come into relationship with you, and written so that we might hold fast to the truths of your character and nature and who you are. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Two quick things we learned. Number one is that Sarah was Abraham's sister. We already already established that. The second thing that we learn here is that Terah, his brother, and all of his family, including Abraham, were moon worshipers. Now, we always think of Abraham when we do the little song in children's church, right? Father Abraham had me. Remember that? Sing it. Five sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right now Okay, you got it, right? And we learned the little flannel grass stories of Abraham. But what we don't recognize oftentimes is that Abraham was a pagan other god moon worshiper. The city of Ur there of Chaldeans is is known, it's it's where the modern-day Babylon is today or modern-day Iraq where Babylon was located. The city of Ur there was the center of the worship of a god who was considered to be the moon god, the god of Nana, N-A-N-N-A. He had, Nana had other siblings that were other gods as well or other offspring that were other gods as well, and as a part of their practice of worship there, and it was the very center of the city of Ur. And it would stand to reason that all those that were inhabitants of the city of Ur participated in this worship of Nana as they worshiped him and other gods as well. They did not worship the true God. As a part of that Practice of worship that they would uh, conduct there. there. There was built a, a temple, if you will, that that was there two, three stories high, and along with going there to worship this moon god and the other gods that they would worship. Archaeologists lately have discovered that there was there's strong evidence and pretty sure that along with that worship of the moon god, there were also human sacrifices that were involved in this worship. And it could have been that Abraham, Abraham's old in age, as he's called out from the city of Ur by God, 75 or so. And it could be that during his lifetime, perhaps, Abraham may have seen the darker side of moon worship. It could have been that, I'm not saying that he participated in it, but it could have been that he had witnessed it and even perhaps condoned it. Undoubtedly, there were daily times that he would have gone there to worship this moon god we have evidence that they were worshiping. Joshua says this in Joshua chapter 24 verse 2, he says, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. And as I think about this, now this is extra biblical, so bear with me. But I think about perhaps that it was over those multiple times that Abraham may have gone there, to worship this moon god. That he peered there at the moon, and maybe the question came to his mind: I, I, I'm, I'm worshiping the moon god, who, by the way, controls all the tides, etc., and these other gods that are related to agricultural endeavors, and I'm worshiping them. But, but. Who made the moon that I'm worshiping? There's got to be something behind this. I'm worshiping this moon god, and and perhaps I see the dark side of this worship, but maybe there's someone or something behind that. Paul writes of this in Romans chapter 1 and this is one of my favorite verses about God's general revealing to man that that there is a creator there's a God who has created all of this made all of this and he has made you and I as well in his image. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 1 verse 20. He says for his God's invisible attributes Namely, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And I see God's grace in this, in that in the design of what we see even as a fallen world, and is so magnificent that it reflects the glory and the nature of God. Paul goes on to say they 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 abandoned that to worship things made by hand, and they perverted that, and they worshiped these created things rather than the Creator, but it speaks of God's magnificence and His splendor and His power. I don't know about you, but I can't look at the daffodils right now that are budding out of the ground and say, God, how great is this? Amen? I can't look at those things that are in nature, I can't ponder how the universe stays in sync and it is all held together, according to the book of Colossians, by the one who created it and holds all this together and realize that there is a God that has created all of this. And this, perhaps, is what began to lead Abraham to seeking or desiring to know that God behind all of that. Let me share a quick personal story with you. The city of Ur has a lot of significance to me. Now, you may think, well, J.M.O., that's, that's a pea brain if Ur has a lot of significance to you. You see, it's November 24, 1983. that that I stopped on our submarine moored at a little island, British island, out in the middle of the Indian Ocean. You can't hardly see even the speck on the map. And it was there when God was beginning to draw me and call me, if you will, to himself. I had not been married very long, and we recognized very quickly that if something didn't happen, this marriage was not going to last. She was so hard to live with. And out of that, God working in my heart, I went to the USO bookstore. And, and I had been raised in a Christian home and a Christian culture, but, but I had disregarded all those flannel graph stories that I had been raised with and taught. And so I bought this book called Haley's Bible Handbook, and I bought a full-testament Bible. I have to admit, it was a King James, and I couldn't understand much of what was in it, right? But I purchased these, and I began looking in the book of Genesis from the very beginning because I had discounted all of those as fables and stories. And then I came upon this page, page 77, archaeological note, the flood deposit at Ur. Now, what does that mean? All of a sudden, my eyes were open that there were so many evidences there for the historicity of this book we call the Bible. That it's not just some blind faith thing, but there are evidence. And and to my my demise, I realized that that had been discovered way back in the 1940s, and I was just hearing about it. This was 1983, right? But it's through that that God planted in my heart the reality that, that this book that we hold, that we read, is absolutely historically supported through archaeology and other evidences. So can I say this? Your faith is not a blind faith. God began to open my eyes and reveal to me not only the historicity and accuracy of the Scriptures, but God began to open my eyes to the reality of an all-knowing, all-powerful, just, and holy God. And all of a sudden, it came to my knowledge and my recognition that God is this holy God that is to be worshiped in all. And I was sitting over here as a little sailor, as sinful as one could ever be be you didn't have to tell me i was a sinner i bragged about being a sinner and you ever brag about being a sinner in your former days am i the only one that did that? yeah thank you and god began to open my eyes that that god is so holy there's no way to ever get to god through my own works There's no way to get to God by joining a church. There's no way to get to God by giving to a church. There's no way to get in relationship with God by doing good works. There's no way to get to God any other way except through the provision that he has made for his son Jesus. And I love it because it was from that man in Ur, Abraham, that God fulfilled the promise that had been made to Eve way back in the garden. Give God praise for that. This is great. Now, this, we might say, as Paul describes, is, is what's referred to as the general revelation of God. God's revealed it, and no one, everyone is without excuse. But then there's that point where it becomes a general revelation of God. You take a poll in America, and most people believe still that there's a God. Believing that there's a God is not saving faith. Because there comes that time, and we see here in Abraham's life, that not only did God begin to reveal himself to him, but God began to call Abraham unto himself. You see, we like to say that I found God. Can I correct us lovingly? We didn't find God. God found us and called us to himself. Aren't you glad? God sought us out and drew us by the Holy Spirit so that we might come into relationship with Him to know Him and to be saved for all of eternity. And I think about this call that God put forth in Abraham's life where He drew him to Him and God continues to call. The question for you this morning, have you heard God's call in your life? You see, God desires that none should perish but all come to eternal life. And God, by the Holy Spirit, is faithful that when you and I pray for somebody to be saved, to know God, that God will answer. I never have to question whether or not God's going to answer that prayer, right? Right? Sometimes we struggle in prayer and we say, God, I'm not sure if you're going to answer that. But can I make you a promise based on this, that the moment we pray and ask God to begin to call and draw someone, God immediately gets into work and he gets into action and he answers that prayer. Why do I know he answers that prayer? Because I'm praying according to God's will when I pray that prayer. Amen. So God calls Abraham to himself. Stephen, I love what he says in Acts chapter 7, verses 2 to 4. As he's standing there about to be martyred, he says, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. As As Abraham was there in that dark city of Ur, God appeared to him. No matter how dark the place might be, It is not too dark for God to appear and call. Go out from your land, he says, and from your kindred and go into a land that I will show you. You see, in the darkness of Ur, Abraham saw the glory of God and heard the call to depart, come unto me. Do you remember the day that God called you to himself? For some of us, it may be a season of time, and we may not remember the specific day. Some people get wigged out because they can't remember the specific day that they were saved, and my answer to them is, don't worry about that, are you? (laughs) right? God works in different ways in different people's lives. If we had the time this morning for all of us to share our testimonies of how we came to know Christ, we'd see that God uses a pluralism. of ways, a redneck country boy cannot be sophisticated in his vocabulary. You realize that to draw us unto Himself, He called Abraham on that day from the darkest of places. And may I add this though, that if you are not sure that God called you into relationship that you kind of shifted into this Christian cultural mode by joining a church, and you may have been faithful to go for the last 50 years, but if you've never responded to the call, you're still lost in your sins and separated from God. You see, there's that time, there's that place, there's that calling of God where He calls us into faith with Him. And when I think of Abraham's obedience here, I think about it for just a moment. Abraham, up in years of age, he's in the middle of a pagan cultural city. His family members worship the same group of gods that he worships. Abraham was already prosperous at this time, and and, and Abraham may have been looking at settling there with all that he had acquired for the rest of his life and enjoying his grandchildren if they would ever come or his great nieces or whatever, that he was settled there. And God comes in and calls him, and he says, Abraham, I want you to leave your land, to leave your hometown, and go. Go. And Abraham says, God, where are we going? And God tells, well, you, you, you're going to get out Google Maps, and, 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 and I'm going to send you a pen. And you're going to click give directions, and, and there's a place about 500 miles from here that, that you're going to go to, and, and here's the map, here, here's the way it's laid out. It's not what God did. If I can paraphrase maybe the conversation, it would be, Abraham, that's none of your business. That's my business. I just want you to follow me in obedience where I'm telling you to go. How many of us would do that? It was profound. When when I look at this, and and I can't give the credit to Abraham. We have to give the credit to God because of God's faithfulness and who He is. And on the basis of hearing alone Abraham rises and he follows God. I've never done anything like this. I've taken some steps of faith in life. I can remember when we believed God had called us to, to Youth of the Mission in Canada. We had two little kids, and God told us to sell everything and go. I wanted to know, God, what's after this, and He wouldn't tell me for, for the whole time we were there. I'm like, God, what's after this? What's after this? And He didn't tell me till the very end. He says, I want you to go right back where you came from, Conyers, Georgia. And I said, There's better places than that, but in that, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff I kept in storage. You, you get what I'm saying? Didn't leave everything behind, but Abraham left everything behind. With no promissory notes, no 401k, he left everything to follow what God had called him to do. I was thinking this week as I was preparing for this message, and I have a sheet in my office that lists all of the pastors that have been pastors here at First Conyers throughout the history will turn 185 years old this coming November. Does anybody recognize that, realize that? Yeah. Some of you remembers here then, Doug. And as I've looked back at some of the stories of this congregation, I see two things. I see the faithfulness of God's people and following God in obedience. And, and it's not recorded there, but I've heard some stories. There were some pretty good fights along the way, right? But I look at steps of obedience that pastors led the congregation to do, and the congregation followed that, believing that, that God was moving to call in this direction, and the faithfulness that God has, the faithfulness that God has displayed throughout all the years. And can I tell you this? God is not finished yet. Amen. The one who is faithful will remain faithful. He cannot be faithless. Do we realize that? that his yeses are amen and amen. That as God moves, and as God moves in the life of a church, as God moves in the lives of individuals, there are times and there are places where he not only calls us in salvation, but he will call us to step out of what we might be comfortable in in order to be obedient to him. Question for you this morning. What is it that God might be calling you to? What is it that, that there's something that you know that, yeah, it's there in Scripture, I know, but, but I, 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 I'm just not quite ready to step out in that. Well, I have to ask the question, how did Abraham do it? And there's one simple answer. There was a call of Abraham where God called, and there was the faith that Abraham had to have and walk in so that he might be obedient to God's call in his life. Faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of, of things not seen. I want us to understand and realize that there is a difference between man-made faith, conjured faith, and biblical faith. Because there's a lot of folks running around in the church with man-made, conjured faith, right? But there's a biblical faith that God calls us to in order to be obedient to the callings in his life. Notice what he says here again. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. I might say it this way. Biblical faith confesses a future certainty. It's not a future certainty that I have imagined in my mind this thing that I want. And I said, okay, God... I want this. I'm going to visualize it. I'm going to put it on my refrigerator. And God, you're required to give me that. That's bratty presumption upon a holy God. You see, biblical faith is the assurance. It's the evidence of those things hoped for. This word hope in Scripture is not a wish for, but it's a hope that, God, I'm resolute and know that I know that I know that this has been a leading in my life, and, God, I don't see it right now. But, God, I have hope in you as the all-powerful, omniscient, the one who said yes, and it's yes that that's going to come to pass. So often we fall into the trap of having faith in our faith. You catch what I'm saying there? And and Christians get caught in the cycle, and and it's because of misteaching on faith. That cycle is that if you have enough faith, then God's required to do what you're having faith in. That's not biblical faith. That's having faith in my faith. You see, faith always has an object. You and I practice faith every single day of our lives. I have faith that this stool is going to hold me up when I sit on it. I have faith that the pen that I pull out of my pocket is going to write when I start to write with it. Biblical faith rests in the object of God. And the question for us is, what are we placing our faith in? I have faith that if I have enough in my 401k, then I can retire at this age. Can I tell you that'll go away tomorrow? Or can. Where does our faith lie? God calls us to have a faith and an assurance in Him. Abraham was so certain of the faithfulness of the one word, the one God that called him, that he moved to relocate everything in obedience. You see, Abraham's faith was a demonstration of his obedience. And can I say this in my life and in your life as as believers? That where there's not obedience, we can't claim to have faith. You see, faith obeys. James says in his letter that we're not to be just hearers of the word but we're also to be doers of the word he says you show me a man that he has no faith and there's no works there i'll tell you that man's not saved now we don't want to mix it up works don't give us faith but works or obedience are a result of our faith faith steps out you remember the story recorded in the gospel of mark where the man of the The demon-possessed boy came to Jesus. And he asked Jesus to heal his boy. The boy would throw himself on the ground. He'd cut himself. He would damage himself, all manners of things. And, And he asked Jesus, Jesus, if you can, and Jesus interrupts him and says, if I can, all things are possible with God. But then I love this man's response to Jesus. And I have to respond this way to him all the time. Lord, help me in my unbelief. God, help me in my unbelief. When things like COVID come along, and who knows what it's going to be in the next five years, right? God, help me in my unbelief. God, because I know that, God, these things are certainty. They're your will. They're your desire. Now, God, help me in my unbelief. What is it today maybe that you need help in your unbelief in? I want you to think about these. Ponder these. I'm not throwing grenades at anybody, but but do any of you struggle with sharing your testimony with others or sharing with others the gospel of Christ? Let's be honest. We're in church. I know you're not supposed to be honest in church, but we're going to be honest because we are in church. How I many have a struggle with that? When I find myself struggling that, I realize that I, what I'm saying is I have faith in my ability to present a presentation that will be inviting to somebody that will calls them to have faith in Christ, and I forget that God is the one that does the saving, not J-Mo. So is God calling you today to be intentional, expressing to one that maybe you've been praying for for a long time that there is a faith in Christ that will save them? Maybe I need to be intentional in that. Some that are watching online... Maybe you've gotten comfortable, and, and I'm not I'm not criticizing you because you're still concerned about coming into a public space. That's not what I mean. But but some are going to remain comfortable in that way. And and soon that will wane away. Is God calling you to be engaged in the body? Is God calling you to be engaged and take another step and, and becoming a part of a small group? is God calling you to lead a small group? Have you been reluctant to step out in faith and believe that that you can engage in personal one-on-one discipleship with somebody yet? Obedience has not been mixed with that faith yet. See, we must never imagine that we have faith If we do not obey. In conclusion, for the next twenty minutes, (laughs) I love that. I laugh at my own jokes. When I when I look about the two most important figures in the Old Testament. They're Noah and Abraham, two of the most distinctive events that took place. And at the core of all that they did was their faith in God. Not a faith in their abilities. Not a faith in the program that came out of Nashville that says, this is going to make your church grow to 10,000 members. But they had a faith in God. Hebrews 11 tells us these two men, first Noah, By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for saving his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Verse 8, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Two other times in that passage, he mentions the faith of Abraham. You see, faith is trusting in that that we know that is foundational. We know that is sure, and God is sure. Faith does not earn righteousness, and it didn't earn righteousness for Abraham. Faith receives righteousness. In Genesis chapter 15, it says this about Abraham. He says, he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. You see, righteousness, being in right standing with God has always been by faith, and it always will be by faith. Trusting God's provision for us in our salvation. There was the call, the faith, and lastly, the blessing. You see, the blessing that came to Abraham was not only for Abraham... We see in chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, that God says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you might be a blessing to many nations. We need to be grateful for Abraham's faith and obedience. You know why? Because God fulfilled the promise that He had preserved through Noah, that He had made to Eve. He fulfilled it through a people that he was going to call out now. And Abraham's faith is pivotal on that. Because had it not been for that, you and I would be lost in our sins. I'm going to ask you to respond this morning. Zach's going to come and lead just a closing song. Two questions in mind. What is it today that you need to take a step of obedience in trusting God in faith and believing that God is who He says? What step do you need to make in your life? It doesn't mean that, that God's going to call you to Timbuktu. He may call you to Timbuktu. But God may call you next door to your neighbor's house. God may call you to begin to look for somebody to engage and make disciples, which is what we're called to do. Secondly, I want you to ask this question. When I heard God's calling, did I respond in faith or did I find a short-circuit way of trying to obtain righteousness by another means other than faith in what Jesus has provided for me. And you respond however the Holy Spirit leads you. Now here's one thing I want to ask you to do. When you leave this auditorium this morning or when you turn off that media platform that you're watching on, resist the temptation that the enemy always wants to do and that is to distract us from the Word of God and the Spirit of God that was prodding our hearts from the Word of God. Don't leave with the idea of critiquing critiquing the message this morning. but Leave with the idea, God, what was in the message that you wanted me to hear and to respond to? Don't leave critiquing what songs were done and what songs weren't done. Leave saying, God, help me reflect on the truths in these songs that we sang to you. Because they were all edifying to you, God. Don't let the enemy rob you from what the Spirit of God is wanting to do through this body of Christ. We are about to come out of this season. We are coming out of it. And one of the things that I believe that God has positioned the church for, the body of Christ for, in this season that we've gone through, is that there are so many that are looking for answers because all of the things that they had their hope in have been ripped away and nothing is for sure anymore. But there is one thing for sure, and that is God Almighty and His saving work through Jesus Christ. And we've got to be in a position to move there to do what God has called us to do. I love you. Sometimes you might feel like I'm beating you up. I'm not. But I want us to believe and know that God has us positioned in this time and in this very place so that his name might be glorified by many coming to know him and worshiping him, that we'd get on mission with what God has for us to do in mission. Amen. Zach, lead us in this closing. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.